Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. This is the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by MasterCard. On today's episode, we are going to preview the ICC Women's T20 World Cup semifinals. And there is perhaps nobody better equipped to drop some knowledge than cricket.com.au's women's editor, Laura Jolly. Welcome, LJ. Thanks for having me on the podcast, Sam. Thanks for being here, LJ. Uh, First things first, our MasterCard moment of the week. Hit us with it. It's got to be the Wolf of Fitzroy Street, Georgia Wareham, (laughs) who uh, spun a web in the must-win virtual quarterfinal against New Zealand on Monday. She got the great Sophie Devine out, threw one out wide, totally deceived New Zealand captain. Alicia Healy whipped off the bales. It was a plan they'd been working on. Everyone's been trying to figure out how to get Devine out for months, and they pulled it off, and she finished with a threefer. Threefer for the – why is she called the Wolf? Wareham, werewolf. Oh, were, werewolf. There we go. That's yeah. it. The wolf is our MasterCard moment of the week. Okay, let's look into previewing these semi-final clashes. We don't know the matchups just yet as we record this podcast, but the important thing is Australia are in there. At a cost though, LJ, with no Elise Perry. Tell us what happened. Yeah, um, Pez has just been in the absolute wars recently. She had that shoulder injury during the WBBL. She had a toe injury during the Tri-Series into her hip injury leading into yesterday Monday's match where she had to undergo a fitness test to even play. Then diving in the field, tried to do an athletic throw, has torn her hamstring and is now going to be out not only for the rest of the World Cup but also for the Tour of South Africa. So it's a really significant tear. No pairs for the World Cup semi-final. Who's going to replace her? It's a really good question. And we did get the word from Matthew Mott earlier today at Sydney Airport that Sophie Molyneux has come a long way in the last couple of days. Um, she's had a corky because she fell on a ball. That's not a dog, is it? <laughs> no, right. it's a corked thigh. All right. She somehow landed on a ball at training and corked herself, re-corked herself. So the uh, the corky started bleeding again. That's it's a double cork. Dub- yep, Molly not- said it's a double cork. That's not good. But apparently the last 48 hours she's been able to move heaps better. She's running again. So I think she's probably the best replacement just in terms of even though she's only 21, she's a player you could throw into a semi-final, and she's just got the head for it. She'll, she won't be overawed by the situation. And I think she could come in and play really well straight off still being cold. Otherwise your options are Molly Strano, an off spinner, or you've got Delissa Kimmitz, a pace bowler, None of them obviously bring what Pez can bring with the bat. And the other option in the squad is Erin Burns, who is a really decent middle-order batter. Her bowling at international level probably isn't quite so good, though. So you, you can't replace Lise Perry. It's tough looking to replace the number one women's all-rounder uh, and probably maybe Australia's greatest ever female cricketer. It's pretty tough, isn't it? Uh, just on Molyneux, would that be a really big separation of the way the team had prepared to play this tournament? You lose someone like Perry and then Taylor Vilmink on the eve of the World Cup through to injury, and then they're going to play the semi-final with a left-arm orthodox spinner who hasn't played all tournament? 
Yeah, I think whoever they pick, it's going to be a real change in tactics for them because it was quite obvious they were planning to hit teams with pace front up, Lemmick and Perry in the power play, and it just hasn't been able to play out that way at all for them now. So I think the biggest thing Perry brings with the ball is those two over she bowls front up in the power play because she's just so intimidating. Her figures haven't been great this tournament, but players think twice before taking her on. And you've got players in either England or South Africa who've played a lot of WBBL. They're some of the best players in the world. They're going to look to take on most, but I think Perry's the one who just gets in their head and they won't quite look to take her on. So you've really got to think about who's going to bowl those power playovers in Perry's place. And Molyneux is someone who's done that. Strano's done that. Kimmitt's not so much. So it's going to be, it's going to cause quite a few discussions around those bowling plans now. Mm. Can Australia win without Elise Perry? Yes. <laughs> That's <laughs> it. How can they win? I mean, that's the thing with Australia's success over the past decade has been a real, built around some of the pillars in the team, Meg Lanning, Alyssa Healy, and, of course, Elise Perry. Without one of those not being there, it's going to make it so much tougher. Will this be a real sign of character for this team? Yeah, it does. It just throws the team balance out of whack because you've lost essentially two players, someone who plays a specialist bat and plays a specialist bowler. So that's where they're going to have to rejig things. But I think... Perry hasn't had to do a lot with the bat this tournament and they've gotten through to this point. Her presence is enormous on the field, but her figures haven't been great bowling. Obviously, you can't ever underestimate what she brings in a final situation when it's all on the line, but I think there's just so much depth in this squad and so much talent that they can still win it. And she's such a clutch player. She's won World Cups as a teenager. She's scored Ashes, double hundreds, do everything. Uh, Let's look at the road to the World Cup semi-finals for Australia. They started with that upset loss to India in Sydney by 17 runs. Then they just crept over the line by five wickets against New- against Sri Lanka, pardon. And then uh, Bangladesh, well, they hammered the Tigresses by 86 runs and then that four-run went over New Zealand. Uh, now, let's be honest, LJ, covering the game, you're obviously impartial, but when it got a bit close towards the end there, did you think Australia might have butchered it or was it always in the bag? Yesterday was a weird one. <laughs> Um, Monday against New Zealand, they seemed really comfortable. As soon as it got to 40 off 20, you just thought, all right, the Kiwis are seven down at this point. They're not going to be able to chase 12s. And then it got to the last over and Katie Martin kept hitting the odd boundary and we started thinking, oh, they could actually steal this. Even that last delivery, the math said they couldn't do it. All Ash Gardner had to do was land it on the pitch. She didn't land it on the pitch. (laughs) Fortunately, it wasn't ruled a no ball and... The missed catch by Nicola Carey that hit the rope for six was it. And then it was a four-run win. But it did end up being a lot closer than we thought it would be. Even that, I was thinking that last ball. I mean, if they call that back for a no ball, then they only need four four to tie, six to win, and then five, uh, well, five would have won the game, but four for that super over. And New Zealand and super overs have gone hand-in-hand recently. So that was a bit, that was a bit scary there. But Australia... Um, they haven't faced a whole lot of adversity over the past decade or so. I mean, they've uh, come up against a lot of very good teams, but they've always always seemed to have come out on top, apart from the 2016 and 2017 World Cups. Uh, are they looking back to what they used to be, LJ? It's been a, a rickety tournament for them, but are, somewhere, are they picking at the right time? Yeah, I think they're getting there. And I think it's just been more that a lot of unexpected things have been thrown their way that they, they wouldn't have thought. So the last few years for them have been pretty cruisy. Smashed England in the ashes. They had that one loss at the World T20 in 2018. Won the tournament. Injury-wise, they've hardly had a worry since Meg's shoulder. Everyone's been pretty good. Then this tournament, they lost Volemic, who was their key pace weapon 
on the eve of the tournament. Perry's had her issues the whole way through. I think they prepared really well for the pressure of a Home World Cup, but I think it's still caught them by surprise. Meg Lanning said a couple of times this week, just the actual reality of it still shocked them. And you did notice a different vibe around the group. There wasn't that same chilled aura around them at training or warming up for matches. They did seem a bit spooked. But then the last two games, they've seen like their old selves again. And I think they've just realised that at the end of the day, it's still just cricket. It's at home. It's a big tournament. But if they can just focus on what they do really well, it should take care of itself. And there's a lot of things they can't control. So they do seem in a much better place now compared to the early stage of the tournament. And it's amazing for a team that has been so successful, they're actually encountering, encountering new stuff. I mean, they've sort of quashed everyone before them, but uh, as you said, all these things have been um, thrown up, these things out of their control, having to deal with them, not only losing those players to injury, but um, I imagine the pitch conditions would not have been what they were expecting if they were going to go in with all those fast bowlers. Yeah, I think that surprised everyone this tournament. Even um, Sophie Devine said yesterday after the match that they thought they were coming over here for some fast, bouncy wickets and... The showgrounds were expected to be low and slow, but we've had the same thing happen at Junction Oval too. Even the Perth pitch wasn't a real Perth pitch for the first couple of games. It's really only been Monica that was really friendly for scoring big runs. So it has caught a few teams by surprise and it's really brought the spinners into it. The spinners, we're going to touch on the spinners in a little second. But let's talk about some of the Aussie players that have uh, performed well in this tournament and it starts with who might be the ultimate clutch player at the top of the order, Beth Mooney. Uh, look back at some of her scores in some big games recently. The Tri-Series final, 71 not out. 2019 WBBL final, 56 not out. 2018 WBBL final, 65. She delivered the goods against New Zealand. Uh, how good's Beth going? Yeah, she's been in outstanding form and she she wouldn't have been happy with her first couple of dismissals in this tournament, but it looks like she's just really settled now. She's the ultimate competitor, so any big occasion, she just grits her teeth, gets in there, scores runs. So it's been really great, especially with Healy being a little more wayward than we've been used to over the past couple of years. Yeah, Healy, rocks or diamonds, 51, a duck, 83, and 9. Fortunately, there are some diamonds in that mix because leading up to the tournament, it was all just rocks. Yeah, it was. And, well, she wasn't out there long enough to lose form she kept saying which is fair <laughs> enough she was sticking with her game plan which is to just go out there and tonk it and if things come off nicely she banks a big big score otherwise she goes out so I think that's why Australia stick with her too because she's not wasting balls she's- yeah unbelievable strike maker um, do we think she's got a big innings in her in the semi-final I mean, you just think that uh, well you look at the scores it's been score no score score no score I mean uh, if the pattern continues Put her in for a half century, maybe triple figures. Yeah, she's. I think she's due for another big one. And, well, it kind of depends on who they're playing. But either way, she's going to know those attacks very well. And I think she'd quite fancy herself against some of her Sydney Sixers teammates at the uh, in South Africa if she gets if they get through. That's right, Captain Van Newkirk. Uh, coming at number three against New Zealand was the captain Meg Lanning. Uh, sort of mixed tournament for her, five against India, forty-one not out against that uh, Sri Lankan side, and then twenty-one against the White Ferns. And I reckon that was the best she looked all tournament. Uh, she went to take down the off spinner, two really nice fours, and then play that sweep shot, which has sort of become her Achilles' heel recently. Um, do we think that's we've seen the best of Meg? Is she, is she hitting form at the right time? Yeah, I, I thought she was going to top score yesterday. So um, I actually sent a tweet about her being on for a big one and then she went out. So sorry, Meg. Don't tweet anything for the semi-final. Uh, but I was looking at her stats last night and in T20 World Cup knockout matches, she scored 
almost twice as many runs as anyone else across the tournament's history. She averages 45 in knockout matches in this tournament as opposed to her actual average of 36. So she just finds a whole other level in knockout games. So I think this is her time. Maybe she's the ultimate clutch player. Uh, what about a captaincy? What have you made of Meg's captaincy throughout the tournament? I think she's been really good with what she's had to adapt to. She's made some really good calls. I think particularly yesterday, bringing on Jonathan when she did to get that first wicket of Priest. Every time she called on, on Wareham, got a breakthrough. So I think she's dealt really well, especially given all the changing availability of players she's had. The pre-tournament plans they would have had have been thrown into disarray a bit with the injuries to... Well, Valemic and Molyneux. So I think she stood up really well. How do you think she's handled the pressure? I think she, yeah, she's going really well. Um, she wrote an opinion piece the other day where she was talking about how even she'd been taken aback by just the sheer amount of commitment she'd had to attend. But I think of all of them, she's just the most well-drilled at that and she's used to the attention and the constant conferences. She said it was the first time she'd been grilled so much about someone's form, having to constantly answer questions about Elisa Healy. So that's been something new for her, um, but she's they're also welcoming that scrutiny, which is good. They've wanted it for a long time. You mentioned Jess Jonathan. Uh, hasn't she been fantastic this tournament? Every time she's got the ball and handle, so she's going to take a wicket, and most often she does. Yeah, I think um, the Queenslanders all just seem to go along quite quietly doing their thing, and like Beth Mooney, she's another one who, who doesn't always grab the headlines, but absolutely clutch, just seems like Lanning can throw the ball at any time and she'll produce an economical over or she'll get the big wicket. And she's been absolutely incredible um, on these wickets that have been more conducive for the slow bowlers and with her left arm, which has been a point of difference, particularly against New Zealand yesterday with a completely right-handed lineup. She and Wareham were always going to be the two crucial bowlers and they both stood up. I can't wait to see what Jonathan and Molyneux can do together if they do play together in the semi-final because they're different types of left arm spinners, aren't they? Yeah, they are. Um, Molyneux gets a much more turn on it than uh, Jonathan, who just sort of bowls more that stump-to-stump, really accurate bowling. And the good thing with Molyneux is that she has been training the whole time. The Corky's just been preventing her running, and the reason she hasn't been playing is because she wouldn't have been able to field. So she's still been able to bat and bowl. She's not rusty in that sense. So I think she should be good to go if if fit and selected for the semi. The werewolf uh, has been a rough season for... Um, Georgia Wareham had at LJ not a great WBBL but 3 for 17 when it mattered the most uh, getting the big wickets of Divine Bates and then Green uh, can you just tell us a little bit about her roller coaster season and how it's finally come good yeah I was looking at her stats again yesterday and I've forgotten that she took 7 wickets at 53 in 15 WBBL matches this that's summer that's not great no um, <laughs> she was probably one of the the most under pressure to even keep her spot in the Australian squad, you would have thought based off those numbers, but they've stuck with her. She hasn't played a lot of cricket. Not sure where her confidence would have been at. She missed out in those first two games because they went Strano as the matchup to some of those key players for India and Sri Lanka. But got her in against Bangladesh. Again, didn't have a great game. And then, yeah, pulled it out yesterday when it mattered. So she is showing that she's someone who can really step up when the pressure is on. I think what was really impressive was how fast she spun the ball. I mean, those those wickets, the the stumpings, uh, those balls were flighted, loopy, and they spun a long way. I mean, that's a great sign for a leggy. And I reckon this tournament has really been about the leg spinners. Wareham, uh, Poonam Yadav for India, uh, Amelia Kerr for New Zealand. I mean, her wrong, and I don't think any of the Aussies picked her wrong. And uh, Dana Vinukek for South Africa. Why do you think leg spin's been so effective? We know the wickets are turning, but is there something else that's... Um, 
made it such an effective style of bowling? I'm not sure. I think the, the batters of the competition are going to go away and spend a lot of the next year working on picking some wrong ends and, and facing leg spin because it, it really has been the story of the tournament. But they're all such different leg spinners too. It's um, Kerr's got that googly that no one can pick. As we saw Australia yesterday. Ash Gardner had no idea. <laughs> she was waiting on the back foot just hoping it wasn't going to come spinning towards her. And they struggled against Poonam's as well, but also she just bowls it so, so slow that you're kind of wondering if it's ever even going to get down the wicket to the batter in the end. So that's, again, a different type of leg spin. Wareham's much more of that zippier sort of leg spin than what, what you see from some of those other countries, and she's been effective with that. So it's... They're all presenting really different challenges as well. We love seeing the leg spinner in Australia. Uh, but with the new ball, Megan Schutt. Now, what were you thinking when she dropped that catch at cover yesterday? Yeah, look, I probably said some naughty words in the uh, <laughs> press box. <laughs> I definitely did. They don't get easier than that. No. They? That was straight. I think she even called it a soda. So we're not taking her out of context here. That was an absolute dolly. Yeah. And there's been some absolute shockers from all the teams in this tournament. I think the poor fielding is the teams that them, themselves have been at a loss to explain it. They know they're usually better than this. But, um, yeah, Shooter did hope that may have just fired her up a bit because she did come back and got two wickets and two balls, yep. then picked up a third. So she more than made up for it in the end, but yeah, she wouldn't have been happy with herself. Have you seen her campaign throughout the whole tournament, taking the new ball, swinging them into the right-handers? Yeah, I think she. It's not too often you see her go for as many runs as she did against India, for example. She's been the number one ranked T Twenty bowler in the world for two years. We were starting to think maybe people have just starting to figure her out. She doesn't bring a lot pace wise, but her variations are incredible, and she's been so effective with that. But it didn't seem like she had that fear factor, and India in particular just looked to take her down. But she certainly has come back, I think, in the last two games really strongly, and we're starting to see the best of her again. Big wickets at the end there. Imagine coming off with a hat-trick there, but it uh, doesn't matter. Australia won. Move on to the next game. Okay, the next game, we don't know their opponents, but we do know it's either going to be South Africa or England. Now, LJ, uh, all the Aussie players after the match were very diplomatic when asked about who they prefer to face. They don't care just as long as they uh, are in the semifinals. But who do you think the Aussies would prefer to play? I think it's safe to say that both India and Australia would much rather play South Africa purely because they've only made, I think, one semi-final previously and one ODI World Cup semi-final. They're not there often. They don't play these big knockout matches. They're probably the team more likely to have the occasion get the better of them. England are just so... They're so used to it. They're so good under pressure. I think both teams have incredibly strong lineups and the Proteas beat England. So on paper, they stack up pretty well. I just think... You would rather play the less experienced team in that situation. Absolutely. The South Africa are playing the West Indies tonight without Stefani Taylor. So by the time you listen to this, the semifinals might already be decided. But uh, LJ says that Australia would like to take on uh, South Africa. So who are some of their danger players, the Proteas? They do actually have a lot. And that's why I don't think it's that big a gap between them and England in terms of who you'd want to play. And playing at the SCG, they've got... Dane Van Newkirk and Marazan Cap, two people who've played for the Sydney Sixers and have played a lot of cricket at the SCG. So they're going to go in with a pretty good knowledge of that ground and a pretty good knowledge of the Australian team. Same goes for England. And Elizabeth Lee, she's been on fire with the bat as well. 
Yeah, and done, Ava Nika. We're moving up to the top of the order alongside her has been a, a really clever move from the uh, South African captain there. I think they were struggling a bit with who should be opening. Wilvart wasn't really striking at the rate they needed in that position and it seems to be working for them now. The captain promotes herself up the order. Easy when you're the captain, you can do that, I suppose. What about England if Australia do have to face England? Arch enemies played them a lot over the past couple of years. Uh, Heather Knight leading the way there as skipper, who are some of the, the players that the Aussies have to look out for. England have been really interesting this tournament. They've obviously just got a new coach who came in at the end of last year. An Aussie. Yes, Lisa Kitely. Unbelievable. And they seem a really happy, relaxed squad under her. I think it's been a good change of pace for them in that sense. But they've still got some big questions about, about their batting order. Their bowling attack, I think, has probably been the one of the pick of the tournament so far. Sophie Eccleston has been just tearing it up with her left arm spin. They're looking really solid in that department. They made a change of opener in their last game. They dropped Amy Jones down the order. She's been a little like Australia's Elisa Healy, struggling for runs at the top of the order, but they did make the move to drop her down. Promoted Tammy Beaumont. Beaumont made a duck. Not sure how that's... I still think they'll stick with that. But, yeah, they've got a lot of questions about their batting. They haven't had too many big runs aside from Knight and Siver. So they're, they're looking a bit susceptible in that department. But I think their big bowlers are proving they can defend most scores. Yes. Now, the weather, uh, the forecast isn't flash. But if there's one hope of inspiration, they, all you need to do is look at the BBL final. That game should have been washed out and Noah's Ark should have come onto the middle of the SCG. However... The ground staff there only needed a fraction of a window to get uh, the ground ready and up to speed, and they did it, and there was a 12-over side game played. There was a result. I think that the, the trophy was getting handed out as the rain started to fall. So while the forecast isn't great, cross everything, LJ, that uh, there's just a little gap in the weather there, and uh, both teams, are, well, all four teams can get on, and we can have four games. But there is a, um, there's no reserve day, as we know. And in the BBL, you only needed five overs to constitute a match. But that's not the same in the World Cup, is it? No, there's just been a change, I believe, for this tournament that you now have to get 10 overs aside in to constitute a match in finals for this tournament. So that, that adds an extra element. That's 40 overs cricket that has to get played on Thursday for both games to get a result. Mm. So it's going to be pretty interesting. It's all, all going to be about when that rain falls. There is a chance the afternoon game could be washed out, the sky clears, and you have a four-hour window to play the night game because they won't go past the cut-off time for the first game to allow that to be pushed into the evening. So it's, it's really going to matter when the rain comes, but it looks like the SCG groundsmen really know their thing when it comes to drying up that, that surface. They certainly know their stuff. Uh, and Australia's the second game, right? Yes, they are. Okay. TBC opponents. Uh, there are still tickets available, so head to uh, t20worldcup.com, uh, Google tickets, find it however you can. There's plenty to go, so get out there. Uh, I'm pretty confident we're going to get to see some cricket. Uh, I'm not sure we're going to see two full games, but I reckon we'll get two results out there. I know people give Sydney a bad rap with the weather, but I think it'll be okay with only a couple of games left in the tournament. How have you seen the 20? 20 World Cup play out is it what you expected what surprised you the most about this edition of the World Cup I think the biggest surprise has just been how close it's been the contest between even teams like Sri Lanka and Australia was almost this stunning upset it really shows that when it comes to T20 cricket anyone can push anyone on their day so I think that's been the most exciting thing we haven't seen that many one-sided matches which is a great sign for world cricket and I just think the reception around Australia has been 
amazing. It's the the Australian women have never landed at airports to enormous numbers of TV cameras before, had that sort of attention. And I think every ground has had a record crowd for a women's game that, that they've played at. The Sydney Showgrounds opener set a record for a women's standalone cricket match in Australia. Hopefully that gets beaten again with the final. But I think it's just been brilliant to see the way the nation's embraced the team. On the plane this morning, the pilot announced that the Australian women's cricket team were on board on their way to the semi-final. And the whole crowd, uh, the whole plane legitimately like cheered and clapped for them, which has never happened before. It's just awesome the way that they've been embraced. Fantastic. Uh, we probably should mention the Aussie men's team have been playing as well. They're all the way over in South Africa. They lost their first one day, but they've got a second match against uh, the Predators in Bloemfontein. They're now two must-win games for the Aussie men's side, but today it's been all about the women's team and uh, their semi-final on Thursday. LJ, thank you so much for coming on. Thanks for having me, Sam. Okay, that's it for this week's episode of the Unplayable Podcast brought to you by Mastercard. Next week, we'll have a special preview of The Test, the Amazon documentary that covers the Australian men's team and their journey from the fallout of the ball tampering scandal right through to retaining the ashes in England. If the sneak peeks are anything to go by, it's going to be a belter. But until then, for all your cricket live scores, breaking news and video highlights, head to cricket.com.au and the CA Live app. softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.